Okay. Honestly, what you were just talking about though is like great, great stuff for for many Squatch members. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a definitely a lot of people that can relate to the challenges of you live a certain lifestyle here in Austin and then you connect with family or friends back home and they just live a different way and it can be challenging waters to navigate for sure. How do you navigate those waters? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got you have to it's to some degree, right? You know, like for me, I'm grateful that my own parents are adapting and they, they're becoming inspired by um, me leading by example, so not telling them what to do, you know, because there was a point where I stepped into personal development for the first time. And I felt just the urge to be like, Hey, maybe, you know, these foods are like not good for you. And, you know, if you're on your phone this long, it's not good for your brain or it's not good for your attention span. And I could just tell, you know, from a subconscious viewpoint, they're just like, Oh, so you're saying that I'm not good in your reality. Mm. And so even if you try to say it as, gracefully as you can it's like they do feel that like so you're clearly leading by example um so yeah I, i'm curious i mean i'm sure it's just a lot of patience yeah i think more often than not the way that it shows up actually a perfect example of this literally just recently happened my girlfriend and i went to get uh, dinner at punch bowl downtown mm. of congress mm -hmm. and i had a buddy who was in town he's very in the fitness space like mm. he's always been he's like sales for fitness and very fit guy and always has considered his health and we went out to eat and they got drinks and i didn't of course i got like a non-alcoholic beer so that always seems to spark the conversation of like oh so you don't drink anymore right mm -hmm. and then they start like pinging questions that's so boring yeah right <laughs> you're so boring <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's where it always starts is that kind of to your point about just leading by example is like you just live a certain way mm -hmm. and then that obviously just leads to them being curious about it mm -hmm. and then when they ask it's like, I'm just kind of openly sharing, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, why I don't drink anymore? And then that even led to the conversation, which I was honestly kind of surprised by. I was like, yeah, like I really don't do much sugar or seed oils. And, and they're like, seed oils. I was like, oh. I don't even you, know what that is. Right. Probably, yeah. Which is weird because like I'm from Minnesota. I'm from the Twin Cities. It's a very health conscious city. Like oh, okay. there's actually a massive fitness community. Like there's a lot of the major gyms started there like Lifetime and Anytime, all these major healthcare companies. And so then for it to not even be on the radar was always is like a good reminder for me of the bubble that I live in. But yeah, yeah. In terms of like navigating how to have those conversations, I think more often than not, it's like they become curious. I openly share. I would never tell anybody what to do ever in the history of mankind. Yeah. Not like I haven't figured out, but that's yeah. more often than not how it happened. I think you do a great job with your content. I didn't mm -hmm. go through every post. You've got a, a lot of stuff, but you do, you do display that. Like I, I'm not telling you what to do, but this is what I, I find true from my own experience. And like, so by doing this, I'm living a life of fulfillment and, and a higher quality. Um, I learned that from experience. Alex Ramosi actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Just that idea of speaking from experience. Yeah. 
I try with everything I create now is to only speak from a place of my personal experience. Yeah. Not as if I'm on some totem pole of knowledge or wisdom, because I can only speak from what I've experienced and share that with others. And I yeah. try really hard from everything I create from a content standpoint is like, here's some sort of hook, obviously, because it's content. Yeah. Here's my experience with it. And this is what it taught me. That's almost all of my content mm. pieces. And I think that's important. I, <clears throat> I find myself as well saying when I'm, uh, constructing these podcast conversations, like this is my experience. So if I have an opinion or if I have these, these things to say, I, I do back it up with like that. This is what I find to be true. It may not be true for other people, but, um, yeah, seed oils, man. <laughs> seed oils, those fucking <laughs> abomination. <laughs> it's abomination. Which is funny. Cause like, that seems like it's, don't get me wrong. I'm as consciously aware of the fact that I'm sure they're probably not great for us, but at the same time, it seems like every few, we'll say years, there's something new where it's like this thing, this thing, this thing. And we keep just yeah. peeling back the onion, right? Like, I watched I watched two videos on YouTube the other day. One was like, why coffee is fantastic for you. Why it's fucking killing you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like two different perspectives. And like one was like coming from the soul bra yeah. guy, or maybe it was some other guy that like has the same vibe as him. And, uh, yeah, he's putting like coconut oil in it or all these different things. And then someone else is just like, it's fucking killing you. And yeah. It's like, well, what do I do? I'm just having one cup. You know? <laughs> it's just like, I'm not having like 15, I only have one in it. Uh, you know, and some days I don't, I'll have like green tea or whatever. Um, yeah, it was, but, I was listening to, uh, do you follow Lane Norton at all? No, he, no. he's massive in the fitness industry, I guess you could say. And I, he just like made a really good point about how I think there is some degree to be conscious of the foods that we're consuming, right? Like mm -hmm. less processed, less seed oils, less sugar, whatever, name your thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you look at the average American, the average American, I think is consuming like, I don't know, it's like 3,200 calories a day and only moving for less than 30 minutes a day. Mm. And so when you look at that from a big picture standpoint, it's like, okay, yeah, there's some health component to it. But when you look at the grand scheme of just American health, it's like, we just need to eat less and move more at the most base level. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, um, do you know who Farmer Pepe is? Mm -mm. No, he's a Squatch member. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Got like yes, long exactly ginger yes. hair. Is he, he like goats or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yes. He's very much uh, a steward of the land. Yes, I got you. Regenerative agriculture. And uh, he said something along the lines like things, foods haven't really changed that drastically, but everybody's obese. Like, I don't know what the statistic is now, but it, I mean, it's growing like to a point where it's like 50, 60% of people have maybe not even just obesity, strictly obesity, but it, other chronic diseases mm -hmm. like diabetes or heart disease and whatnot. So it's like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And seed oil seems to be alongside superfluous amounts of sugar and alcohol consumption and pesticides, you know, like glyphosate and, and like, yeah, there's these, um, he had, he had a really good, um, description of what, what has happened. So like at one point during, I, I don't know if it was world war one or world war two, we had to ship a lot of food, packaged food for our American soldiers. And that packaged food just kind of, um, the, 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 the process of pro producing it 
manufacturing it and shipping it out, um, then evolve to just continue in just on our domestic soil, like domestic, uh, United States. And, um, and we added things into the food to preserve it so that it could last, you know, to, to be preserved, to travel to these different countries and whatnot. And then I think over time we just like, uh, the science wasn't there for sugar and for all these different things. And so, you know, we've, we've just added this, frankly shit to our food that has caused these ailments. And, um, so yeah, seed oils for me, uh, I, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty much completely, it's completely omitted from my consumption. Um, and I found it, I found it through Twitter. Twitter is a great resource for based information. Um, and just information that you wouldn't hear. Um, I just got a lot of different, I learned a lot on Twitter now X, um, and seed oils was, was one of them. And, uh, not all seed oils are bad. I guess, um, I have black seed oil. I was prescribed that. Um, yeah. What I, is that? In this, I don't know if it's a heart doctor that I follow, but all, but other, um, I, it's, it's, yeah. If you want to look it up and we can, we can maybe get more into it because I, I actually just trusted. So I go to this, um, facility called ultra personal healthcare. They're also really conscious about like they're, they're pro carnivore diet and no seed oils. And to me, they do follow like a holistic, um, like a holistic health approach. And I had some friends and people that really had good things to say about them. And they were like, we prescribe all of our patients black seed oil. And then I saw another, and honestly, I just trusted them. And I could have, I mean, I could have done some research as well, but I saw a heart doctor recommend three oils. And I think black seed oils was one of them. And then he said olive oil. I think it was olive oil. And then one other one. Avocado? Maybe it was avocado. It's a pretty Uh, common one. Yeah. So I heard black seed oil. But like the seed oils that we, we see nowadays, I mean, it's just industrialized and, and processed to a degree that's just not not good for us but and it's the quantity of it i think is like yeah it's in everything right canola, canola oil. i mean exactly to your point about because we're just solving new problems now i always like to try to zoom out as much as humanly possible the problem with humanity used to be a caloric issue we've solved that issue mm-hmm. for i guess most of humanity obviously there's exceptions in certain places on the planet but for the most part we've solved that problem. We have enough food, Mm -hmm. right? And now that's a new problem. It's like, okay, we have an abundance for all of eternity if we ever wanted to. Now we're solving the problem of like, okay, how do we actually add quality back into this? And so I always try to take that perspective of like, I don't think we got to where we're at because of like ill intent. I think to your point, we were trying to create enough calories and to be able to make it last long enough that we Mm -hmm. could eat it and survive as a human species. Yeah. So it's just new problems. I've never heard of black seed oil, but I actually just stumbled upon, have you ever heard of cultured oil? Dude, I was, I would take my girlfriend out to, what's it, how do you pronounce it? That, that Dow? It's like a, I don't know. It's a restaurant over here in East Austin. It's like, they have the best burger in town Okay. and they fry their, uh, French fries and like, um, tallow. It's like super healthy. Oh, cool. It's yeah. like farm to table type situation. Yeah. But on the shelf they had, uh, it was cultured oil. 
And I was like, what the fuck? Like the word itself was like, is this grown in a Petri dish? It's cultured, right? And so I looked into it and that's exactly what it is. It's essentially some sort of fermented oil. Hmm. Um, I can't even begin to guess if it's healthy. They try to claim that it is. I've not dug into it. I don't know any research yeah. behind it. I think actually hop dotties might be using it now in, a, okay. in a lot of like how they fry their fries and cook their burgers and stuff like that. Huh. But that was a new one that I stumbled upon and I was like, I have no idea if it's good or not, but it's another one of those oils where I was like, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out in five years. I have no, <laughs> yeah. no, I have no idea. So. I, hope we, I hope it's good. Um, <clears throat> I just checked with chat GBT. What it is? Well, black seed oil. Oh, okay. Uh, it contains compounds like thigh, thymocuinone. I don't know how to pronounce that, which may have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. Some studies suggest potential benefits for conditions like asthma, diabetes, and skin disorders, but more research is needed to establish these claims. As with any supplement, yeah, it's advisable to consult with a healthcare professional. All I know is that the uh, black seed oil is like one of the main, it's a very common prescription for this holistic personal healthcare um, facility that I go to. But um, sometimes I feel like I always flash back on coconut oil. I remember when coconut oil first became the cure-all for everything. Mm. It was like, put it on your skin, put it in your body. Snort put it. it. In your co- exactly. <laughs> it was like coconut oil cured everything. And then now we've kind of like pulled back on it and like, no, it's like, it's good, but there's, it has issues, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of feel like that for most things that come out. Yeah. It's like even this cultured oil or your black seed oil, I'm sure there's a tool and a use for it, but at the yeah. same time, it's like, okay, calm down. Yeah. And that, something that came to mind too is the relationship that you have with, I mean, this is with everything in life, but when it comes to like various health modalities, like nutrition, sauna, um, going to the gym. And so if you're more stressed about, oh, there's seed oils in here mm-hmm. and I don't usually eat them that much, but I just had a you know, just this, this, uh, you know, bar, this protein bar that has some of it. So what the fuck am I, should I cleanse myself? You know? And so if you're stressing about it, it's work, you know, you're just, you know, now you're creating stress hormones. And, um, so that, you know, that, that there's a relationship to everything. And, um, you know, I recently saw, I'm reading this book called gift of the body. It's very much about, it's, it's more about like, what he phrases a uh, grounded spirituality. Um, the framework is, is beautiful and I'm just exploring it, but he talks about all these different, um, bodies that we have mental, physical, spiritual, the etheric body, physical body. And he talks about like, you can do all these health, you, you can focus on your health and let's say, if you're overcompensating on nutrition, but you're not connected to capital L light or God source, whatever, it's, it's just much more important to have that connection. It was very interesting to me. It's like, you still, you don't want to neglect nutrition and neglect your health to the physical extent of this, of your body, your physical body. But like at the same time, if you're just not taking a sp- spiritual approach to a connect some connection to a higher power he finds that you know um 
there's there's a lot of healing to that like it's very very interesting a very interesting connection to a higher power can can really provide um true healing which i mean i'm still just crazing over the book right now but it was fascinating the way that he worded and i'm kind of butchering it i'm very much paraphrasing it um but anyways dude uh i've i don't know you well but you've reached out a couple times and have been kind with um just like commenting on my content and i've been following you for i don't know like four months now i think and watching your content as well and uh, i've seen you at the gym and i'll be honest with you the first time i ever saw you you were deadlifting in the middle of squats the main facility and i was like that guy has like impeccable form <laughs> i was like and I, I don't know anything about you i didn't know your name i didn't know anything it's like this guy fucking deadlifts like a boss <laughs> i was like what am i doing wrong here and uh and then i started to actually do some research and i noticed you were previously an occupational therapist nailed it brother um so that explains a little bit, you know, <laughs> so you're very, uh, aware of the body and taking care of the body. Um, but, uh, I finally was like, yeah, I would like to get this guy on. He's, he's an interesting character, uh, interesting dude. And I like, you know, aside from some of the, like, I only saw a few points of your content before I actually did some research and I dug back like I went all the way back and started looking at some of your messages going back to like 2017, 2018. Jesus. And I was impressed. Wow. I took some notes. I was impressed with your messages. And, um, you know, there's some, like I, like I said, I had Matt Worthington on yesterday and he did, uh, the, the 75 hard challenge and he had like 75 pieces of content for each day. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go through all these, but I did, I did half 35 posts and i was like i don't know if i'm gonna do all these because these are all fitness and he's just like working out and playing blasted music or whatever and i was like i don't know if i want to get much content from this you know <laughs> to discuss creatively here but i ended up like actually getting pumped up like watching his content and then he would not even just clip uh just like jams he would clip like a jordan pearson quote or mm. different like motivational alpha like alpha motivational <clears throat> quotes and i was like this is good stuff to like talk about. And so I went back and I have a bunch of stuff, but before we get into anything, I'd love to, um, invite you the opportunity just to introduce yourself so I can get to know you a little bit better and then can just let the conversation flow. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you digging back. I, uh, <clears throat> I do the same thing on my own podcast show is I, I find a lot of value in being able to go a little bit deeper <clears throat> with somebody when you know where they've been so mm. that you can kind of talk about where they're going. So I honestly appreciate you doing that. And to your point about deadlifting, uh, I'm <laughs> older than probably most people would guess. I look like I'm about 17, <laughs> but do you look young? <laughs> um, How old are you? 35. And so not that old. And uh, at all. I only say that from the angle of I have been working out and in the gym and in the fitness space long enough to check my ego at the door. Mm. And so and I feel like Squatch is like the perfect place where people love the ego bump and really 
You like, think so? I do with certain certain people. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think there's a few, and they're buddies of mine, which is like I'm calling out my own friends. Yeah, like, and I'm not gonna say names, but they're legitimately my friends, and yeah. they'll be like, "Oh, that's all you're gonna lift?" It's like, yeah, because I don't want to injure myself. You pussy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong? Exactly. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Leave. And not that, and not that squatch is one of those places, but like, I think I just am smart enough to be like, "No, I'm cool. I'll take I don't this shit. Sit, yeah, yeah like, I'll take the shit talk. Dislocate my spine. Right. That's. I'm totally. I'm so cool. Not being injured and be able to live another day yeah uh i guess the short story though is yeah group minneapolis twin cities area just south of st paul and the man that you sit see sitting here today is a very different person than you probably would have ever known back in minnesota mm -hmm. i think that's probably true for a lot of people but the reason i say that is honestly the biggest mental life-changing shift for me by far was adopting what most know as a growth mindset mm -hmm. Growing up, I, in the second grade, I had a teacher and she would send me to the quote unquote star room, which is essentially where dumb kids would go. Mm. I wasn't focused. I couldn't get any of my classwork done. And so she'd send me somewhere where I would have like a one-on-one -on -one teacher that would sit down and work with me. Mm. And at a very young age, it instilled in me what's called a fixed mindset where I just thought I was the dumb kid mm. and I thought I was the odd man out. And I carried that pretty much most of my life to the point where I literally barely graduated high school. I think I had like a D plus maybe. Um, they pretty much just like pushed me out the door of like, yo, you're like not good at the school <laughs> thing. Like get out of here. And even following to that, I, my, the only reason I even went to college to eventually become an occupational therapist was because my mom literally filled out the paperwork and submitted it for me. And she was basically like, you need to do something with your life. And I was like, okay. And my grades were so bad that I couldn't even get into a university. So I ended up going really? into a community college. I would not have guessed that. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, you're sharp. Well, that's, that's why I say like the man who I used to be is not who sits here today. And it wasn't until I've discovered Carol Dweck's work where that mm. initially that phrase comes from. And she wrote a great book called mindset. And it was really about that idea of a fixed mindset with a gross mindset. And when I finally discovered that eventually with, like in my twenties, it literally shook my world. Like it exploded my brain. Mm. Cause like the message essentially was, is that anyone, literally anyone if you put in the work and energy and effort to learn or to become good at something, you can do it. Mm. And as crazy as that sounds to most people sitting here now today, everyone's like probably like, yeah, like that totally makes sense. I didn't believe that. Yeah, I literally did not believe that. I literally just assumed this is who I am. This is the way it is. And I will never change. Mm. And it wasn't until I read that book that everything changed. Um, and to make a relatively long story short, I ended up eventually going to university and I granted uh, undergrad exercise science with like a three something GPA. Mm. Eventually went on to grad school, graduated with a four in occupational therapy, wow. and then went on to work in a career in OT. It's a whole other story as to how I went from OT to where we are here now in Austin, Texas. Um, but that's really the short story. And honestly, like that is like the most groundbreaking change for my entire life was like understanding anyone, literally anyone, like if you mm. put in the work and energy and effort to learn any skill you've ever wanted to learn. And when I say skill that applies to health relationships, business community, mm. anything, everything's yeah. a skill on some level, like you can do it. And so mm. that's why we're here. Yeah. There's a book I have. I haven't finished. It's called the biology of belief. Oh, it's pretty fascinating so far. I tend to flip through books sometimes. Um, but it was written and published in the seventies and I'm forgetting the name of the gentleman, but he would, he showed like actual scientific proof that when you change your belief, you, you actually biologically change. Totally. And this was like 
taboo to scientists. So when you start putting it out there, like people dogmatically were like, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, cause the, the, the viewpoint was like, oh, it's in my genes. So this is, this is right. what it is. And that's like a fixed mindset. And so I think that, um, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And the threat of guests or the, the, the threat of, or just maybe the commonality that I see with my guests that I have on, they go through difficulties in their life. And that's why they're like, you know, um, accomplishing these different feats, like whether it's being healthy with your physical, your emotional, your relationships, like Matt, his episode will release before yours. He, he had the belief that something was wrong with him because something was wrong with his father. Mm. His father was in a wheelchair just from a freak, not it wasn't really a freak accident, but it was, I mean, it was a drunk driving situation. And so as a, yeah, as a kid, I mean, um, other kids that, you know, they, they have these blank slates and they're just like, what's wrong with that guy in the wheelchair, you know? And so he, he started to accept something was wrong with him. And then it dug him into a hole of, you know, using alcohol or whatever it was to kind of suppress. But then eventually he felt enough pain to take some type of action. And so maybe, you know, a lot of these painful moments in our life can be blessings. And I find that they push us to blast past the inertia of, of just like evolution that we need to get past. Um, so that moment of maybe shame or whatever you felt from being in the star room, the, the special room, like that pushed you. Right. And you, you had a piece of content of your friends. It was pretty funny. Your friends making fun oh, of yeah. you <laughs> running. Yes. I, your friends are funny. <laughs> I, I laughed and James and Joey, fuck you guys. No, <laughs> <laughs> shout out James and Joey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, I think that some people that maybe, you know, this, this is an example within my own experience going back to that phrase. Uh, you know, I, I, I witnessed people that were gifted and they reached their highs in high school, best looking girl, best looking guy, most skilled athlete. And they all, I mean, not all, but like some of them crashed into drugs because they reached that high there, you know, at the time I would say if you're in a, it, it, all of us have some type of immature most likely immature um, part of ourselves because we are so young. We don't have a lot of wisdom. And you start to accept like, oh, I'm just the bee's knees maybe. And um, then they just start to dive into the cool culture of whether it's substance abuse or, you know, partying and whatnot. And and they start to kind of go downhill. And, um, you know, I released a clip recently. It was like, Joe Rogan stating all of his most talented and successful friends being fucked up at some point, like having some kind of pretty fucked up past. And so I look at, I look at it as a blessing and this seems to be a common thread. Like I talked to, to, to Matt about this and he actually asked me what my definition of, of, or my, um, my perspective and contemplation of what pain is. And 
what flowed yesterday was it's information for you to digest and to to receive and to evolve and adapt not to look at it with some type of negative thought you know um so one of my favorite quotes is nobody's seen or nobody knows how much violence i've seen to be this gentle <laughs> and uh to more relatively quote that as well my, my my good buddy on my podcast show said um sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to know which way's up mm. and i think there's so much truth and overlap in both those statements because i think it's true and i and i've had this conversation in depth about i honestly question if more often than not people don't have to have had some rock bottom moment because i i firmly believe there's only really two ways people change it's rather that it's some rock bottom moment whether it's uh, your doctor tells you you're going to die if you don't get things right mm. or you're getting a car accident or somebody passes away or whatever the traumatic experience is. Or there's the other side of it, which is like small, incremental, tiny little steps that eventually leads you where you are mm -hmm. today. Mm. I really think those are the only two ways people change. But I often wonder, to your point about, uh, I, I've seen the same overlap in all the guests on my show as well, of like they have a chip on their shoulder. Right. They had some experience. They had rather somebody told them they could never do it or some. I, the analogy I love is like it's essentially like a, a pendulum. Mm. Right. The harder you swing into pain and suffering and uncomfort, the harder you swing in the opposite direction mm. of like bliss and peace and gratitude. Mm. And I think honestly, as sad as it sounds, I think more often than not, you need that experience. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about your past with occupational therapy. You now have a podcast and I think a marketing agency. Bingo. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. If you want to start off just with what made you move to Austin, Texas? Well, like our discussion we're having right now, pain, <laughs> uh, the story really comes down to, I was working as an occupational therapist and everybody knows, if nobody knows what it is, the real short version um, is basically you help people with daily living. Most people have no idea what it is or what that means. It sounds like you help people get jobs. It's not what it is at all. It's honestly more often than not is you help people with day-to-day -day tasks. So like you would see an occupational therapist rather in anywhere from pediatrics to average age to geriatrics are basically just helping people get through their day. Mm -hmm often in hospitals, sometimes in the school setting, sometimes in mental wards as well. I did some work in mental health as well. Mm. And uh, I did it for three to four years and working in healthcare, I eventually realized that it was not the place for me, kind of like how our conversation initially started, mm -hmm. is that the healthcare system, the way it's built right now is really good at one thing and one thing only, it's preventing you from dying. If you're in a car accident, it's going to do a phenomenal job of making sure you don't die. My Actually, one of my best friends, Dan, just got a staph infection and, and he waited way too long and ended up in the hospital. And eventually they gave him antibiotics and saved his fucking life. Mm. That's super cool. Mm. I think healthcare is great at that. But in the grand scheme of everyday lifestyle, it's not that great. Yeah. And that's really not where I wanted to be because I, I am on that realm. I am in the realm of just the day to day living of like, how do you just live a better life and take care of yourself so that mm. you don't end up in that circumstance. Um, and throw, so through working in healthcare, I just got tired of being in that environment where it felt like everyone was like, 
like we call them frequent flyers where they were in and out of the hospital again and again and again because they never take care of themselves mm. and i was like this is dumb the system's broken i don't want to be a part of it anymore and very specifically there was a conversation that happened with me and my boss where she sat me down and she had this list of items that she wanted to talk about that like work related things that just she wanted to cover mm -hmm. and there was one item on this list i will never forget and it was she's like yeah last friday uh it looked like you were wearing um black jeans to work and this was a very it was an outpatient orthopedic it was a very relaxed environment not a big deal and i was like yeah and she's like yeah that's just like a little out of the dress code if you could just not do that anymore and i remember in my brain thinking this is the dumbest conversation i could be fucking having right now i'm not gonna do this again and it wasn't her fault right like i'm sure she was just following the rules but there were so many other things that i cared about right there were things like how do we provide better patient care like how do we actually help our local community like mm -hmm. how, there were so many things that i cared about mm. that what i was wearing was not one of them yeah and it was like this is not a conversation i ever want to have again and i promised myself that i wouldn't mm -hmm. it's not like i stormed out that day but i remember leaving that day i was like okay i need to find a new path mm. this isn't for me and at the time i was reading a book called choose yourself by james altucher mm -hmm. and the punchline of the book is exactly that of like i think so often we look to others for permission to do what we want to do Mm. we want the job so that I can do the work that I want to do, or I want the partner so that I can have the family that I want, or I want the, whatever it is. Like we're always looking outside to basically fill some void when in reality, you always have the choice to do whatever you want to do at any given moment. And that's when I realized like, okay, I don't need another job. I don't need to ask anybody else for permission to do what I want to do. What do I want to do? That was the question. Right. Mm. And that's really what led me down that path of like, I love working with people in the health and fitness space. Mm -hmm. And that started out as working in website design and development. So I started working with like health coaches and personal trainers and helping them with their marketing and building out their websites and that sort of stuff. Um, through that, I'll be honest, the podcast show purely started because it was a way to have conversations with people that I was already working with. Mm. So health coaches and business owners and gym owners, like I was already working with them. So I wanted to have a show where we could create content and talk mm. about the things that we were learning. That's how the show started. What it is today is very different than what it used to be. Um, it's grown into a whole nother beast of its own. Um, but so what ultimately ended me up in Austin was that me and my best friend, the one who actually got the staph infection, mm. uh, we were both living in Minnesota at the time. He used to be a pharmacist. He also hated working in healthcare. Mm. And so we're like, okay, well, how do we not do this healthcare thing, thing anymore? Because it sucks. And also we were living in Minnesota where it's cold as fuck. And we didn't want to spend another winter up in Minnesota. Winter was coming. And mm. so I think it was around November where we, two years ago, actually, yeah, November, two years ago, we moved down to Austin. It was one of those, I think a lot of people fell in that camp of like, okay, what's cool cities to live in that aren't cold? And you get like uh, Tampa Bay, Nashville, I guess, sort of, mm -hmm. Phoenix, <clears throat> California, Austin, like based on those, it was like Austin felt like the right fit. Mm -hmm. So that's how we ended up here. But yeah. So did you just start wearing black pants all the time? Dude, I literally wore them the other day and my girlfriend, cause she knows that story. <laughs> She's like, I'm never gonna forget those black pants now. I was like, I know this is what got me out of that job. I only wear black <laughs> jeans now. <laughs> he just took them off today cause he didn't want to. I li actually literally wore them to dinner at that burger place <laughs> the other day. So, um, <laughs> I'd like to, if you don't mind talking about the mental, you said you went to a mental, you were working on a mental ward. Yeah. How was that experience? Cause I, I, uh, I can imagine it's, it can be a lot, a lot of energy. And I, um, is one 
piece of literature. I can't remember where I I read it, but it, there was this individual that would. This is where the power of belief comes in, and he would he would energetically believe that everybody in that mental institution that he was going to was healthy, vibrantly loving people. And they were obviously mentally ill, right? They were in a mental institution and they showed these studies. This guy would like try to actually feel that that was a manifested truth. And, you know, you have these mental patients kind of reacting pretty violently at times or just out of control. And then this gentleman would enter the institution, the building, the actual facility. He wouldn't go into the room where these people were. He would just be in like the proximity, like a closer proximity. And what they found was these patients would begin to calm down. But yeah, I can't remember where I found this, but it was kind of wild. So it, it, it was almost like, and I don't know where you are with your beliefs when it comes to the energy that you bring. Right. Um, you know, like you, you like I, what I have found to be true is that if I, every day, even if I'm going to the gym and I'm doing sauna, having a protein shake and writing down three things of gratitude, if I'm not feeling that and I'm just intellectually digesting that and I'm still kind of in a lower vibrational state and to maybe not make it sound woo woo to say like truthfully I'm feeling sad or I'm not feeling like um I don't know powerful within me from like an actual internal truthful standpoint I find that you can find the you you can see the proof by other people's mirror of you. Right. And so, yeah, this guy would go into this institution and these, they don't just get cured. I'm not saying they got cured, but they would become calmer and their state would change just by this guy having, I forgot what he did, but he would have this energetic. I think I actually remember I can find a video for you. It's not a direct source though. I think it's still indirect. Um, but that indirect source might have the the direct source. And so that was wild to me for people that are at a level where they're just kind of mentally gone or mentally at a, at a low state. And this guy would enter and they would change their state would change just by his presence. Um, that I just felt like expressing that. I don't know what it just came to mind. So, um, would love to hear if you feel called to share your experience yeah, I mean, to what you're talking about, uh, you'll have to fact check me on the exact numbers of it, but I, I'm fairly certain of all the data that we're able to comprehend, it's like a fraction of what's actually happening mm-hmm. in our environments, right? It's mm-hmm. like 1%. Like yeah. of all the things that's happening from what you're feeling and what you're sensing and what the pheromones in the room yeah. to the everything, right? Yeah. It's like we're very visual creatures 
And so majority of our ability to process information is visually because that's how we're wired. But at the end of the day, we're processing a fucking fraction of Mm -hmm. what's actually happening in Mm -hmm. our world. And so I think there's a lot of truth to exactly what you're saying. Um, But I guess to talk about my personal experience, it uh, two stories come to mind. One of them specifically. So it was an inpatient hospital in downtown Minneapolis, Hennepin County. And uh, obviously, there's a big overlap between mental health and people who end up in prison, which is super sad. That's actually an American issue, right? Like we just don't do really good with people with mental health in general. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's definitely like some strong characters in there. And I remember one story specifically. I remember we went into the inpatient area where some very actively like hallucinating experiencing patients were at. And uh, one of the guys came up and he gave me a fist bump and I was like, what's up, man? We fist bumped and we left that day or whatever. And my coordinator at the time, she's like, she's like, by the way, like be careful the next time. I was like, what are you talking about? Like sometimes he's, she's like, sometimes he punches people. I was like, Oh, great. Glad I only got a fist pump today. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's, it was that, that sort of setting where like people were having more extreme cases. And then the other story that comes to mind as well was, uh, they, that hospital specifically, I can't remember why, but for whatever reason they were doing a lot of, I don't remember the exact medical term for it, but essentially shock treatment. Mm. So basically they would knock you out for like a minute or two. They would like shock you so that you convulsed and had a seizure <laughs> And then you would wake up again and they were doing it to treat depression for most of them. Actually, there's actually some fair research out there for whatever reason that like, yeah, doing shock therapy is really helpful for depression. And so, and they would do like hundreds of these a day, like lots of people. Mm. Um, so that was interesting. Mm. I well. mean, like the cold plunge kind of shocks you. I mean, it's not like yeah. <laughs> that could reset you too. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, if, but huh. I don't know. It definitely actually helps with depression. That's a yeah. side note. But yeah, those are the two main things that come to mind. Whoa. It's a interesting place. Mm. Were there any like lessons of wisdom that you attained from those times you were there? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I mean, I am probably the least empathetic person that you know, <laughs> um, which is why my girlfriend's like the most empathetic person <laughs> on the planet. I think we counterbalance each other in a lot. But I think there was a degree of empathy that was learned in that experience of understanding that these people, they just have poor wiring. They have poor hormones and chemicals and like things aren't in their favor. And so they unfortunately have to see things Mm. and deal with certain thoughts that most of us don't deal with. And so Mm. it definitely grew a level of empathy of what these people are dealing with. And yeah, there's no good answers in those situations for Mm. sure. But Mm. yeah. So the, um, like I was saying before, I I took down a few quotes that I really liked, um, that we can dive into do like some rapid fire stuff if you want, or just bring it, whatever. Um, (laughs) One that I, that comes to mind first is a quote you had in one of your pictures on Instagram. Definition of power is not financial success, status, or influence over others, but degree of which we have control over our own lives. And that, I'm still trying to process why it stuck out the most. I think that as I continue to grow this podcast and go on this entrepreneurial route and how I approach everything. I want to be sure that I still have the freedom to creatively express the way that I want to express. And there are a lot of people in this world that from a on paper perspective have tons of money, tons of power, 
but they may not have the true ability to be their authentic self. Maybe because they're trapped in a system because of, well, they're in a system maybe that got them that financial or status uh, success. And so now they, it's hard for them to get out of it. And that hit hard, man. I mean, like, like you know, um, some people, I, I think most people would, would say the more money I have in the bank, the more power I have or the more status I have. Like, even if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, but you're like nowadays, you know, leverage with social media, social leverage can bring you a lot of power too. I mean, you can, if you can talk to anybody in the world, that's powerful. Right. But if you're like a, a globalist, you know, that's, that has to follow this agenda. You don't have the, the ability to freely speak your mind. So that was a cool quote. And how do you construct your life to, to maintain that power of having control over your own life? Which I'm, I mean, I'm, it's probably a combination of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you happen to see my post today? I don't think so. Okay. So it ties exactly to what you're talking about. Uh, I have four. So I, I would say roughly around 2018 was like the first year that I started leaning into that exact idea and that quote of, I phrase it as living a life you don't need a vacation from. So I think so many of us, unfortunately, are in circumstances where the majority of our time is spent doing things we don't want to be doing. Mm. The nine to fives, right? As for a lot of people. And some people love it. And so I'm not judging anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, live what you full, fully authentically want to live. But mm -hmm. I think most people, unfortunately, are in that situation. And I discovered that around that time frame of like 2018, I would say, of realizing that I have eventually, because of conscious and subconscious choices, mm -hmm. led myself to a position where I didn't have a lot of autonomy over my life. And so the majority of the time was spent doing things with people that I didn't want to be around doing things I didn't want to do the majority of my days mm. every single day of the week. And it was when I stumbled upon, I love Seth Godin. He's another amazing marketer. I've read like all of his books, but essentially he talks about and like basically designing a life that you don't need a vacation from at its most core level. And so since that year, basically 2018, I started intentionally doing things. And so, cause I, it's so funny not funny. It's, I think it's important to know that people look at me now and they're like, you're living the dream, man. Like it's the greatest, like it's so awesome that you have this. And they forget that like, they only see the tip of the iceberg, right? More often than not, rather even like physique standpoint or relationship standpoint, people only see the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, I've been working towards where I sit here now today for years, right? With a very clear goal in mind, I want to live a life that I don't need vacation from, mm -hmm. right? Like nothing wrong with vacations. I still travel and do fun things and hang out on the beach and do cool stuff. But the majority of my week is spent doing things that I, in some level, enjoy doing, even if it's like type two fun, if you're familiar with that expression of like, it's not fun in the moment, but you're really glad that you did it. Mm -hmm. Even on that from mm -hmm. a base level of yeah, I, I think that it's many steps and many decisions made along the way. But I think the North Star was always like, I don't want to spend the majority of our time, which is like nine to five, Monday through Friday, doing some form of work or spending some time with people in a miserable way. Mm -hmm. That's just a silly way to live life. Mm. And so, like I was saying earlier, like I'm 35, it's taken me a long time to get here. Mm. But that has been a North Star for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Power and intention, the power of intention. 
Um, you seem to be living an intentional life clearly. Um, Oh yeah, I love that. I love, I love the vision perspective, just having a, a sight on living your day to day that you don't need a vacation from. I really like that. And I want to preface that too, by saying it doesn't mean you're sitting on the beach with a margarita right. sipping cup. Like <clears throat> that's fun, but that's not what I mean. I mean, just like the normal day, mm-hmm. like how do you just want to spend a normal day? Like yeah. That's really like, people don't think about that. People think about like the next goal they want to accomplish or the next book they want to write or the next business they want to build or the next relationship they want to have, which are all important things. But how do you just want to spend just a normal day? Mm -hmm. Like what does just an average day look like to you? People forget that that's like the majority of your life. Right. (laughs) Like think about that for a second. Yeah. Most people are always focused on the next thing. Right. They're not enjoying the process. So if you can get to a point where you design your, your lifestyle to an extent that you're enjoying the process. You don't need a vacation. Um, that's a win. I mean, that's a fulfilling life. Um, totally to stay on the topic of intention. You had an old, old post and I'm sure you have newer ones too. being very intentional. Um, and I think I got it from when you, I think it was from like 2019, how you chose to be very, uh, just obsessed with intentions. Um, why we do anything is far more important than what we actually do. And I think that totally relates to what we're talking about. And some of your pinned posts in your Instagram, um, are what you learned in 2022. Mm. And I took, I mean, there's a whole list there. Um, one was like doing a podcast with the crew of SX. SX or South by Southwest, mm-hmm. um, your motorcycle being stolen, <laughs> um, the loss of your grandfather, mm. which is, this is his jacket, by the way, shout out to grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you almost lost it, but you, I got, know, it, man. you got it back. Oh, <laughs> I, I was scared. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just dive into a few of those things. Um, how did you learn to, to let go? What was I mean, the first thing that comes up, probably my divorce. Um, I was in a relationship for, I think we were together for seven years, married for two. And I fought really hard to make that work. Ultimately it didn't. And yeah, I was actually just talking to my good buddy, uh, Dr. Scott Mitchell. I don't know if you know him at all. But he went through a pretty tough breakup that not not that long ago. Mm. And one of the things I admired a lot about the way that he addressed it was that he goes, he was like, yeah, um, I basically did everything that was super painful to help me work through the emotions as fast as possible. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that even mean? And he's like, well, for example, so his uh, ex-partner was, she's a yoga teacher. He's like, so I went to like a yoga class and he's like, I like bawled my eyes out. The entire time. So he went to a yoga class after the divorce or after the breakup. After the breakup. Yeah. <laughs> Just to like work through those emotions. Okay. And he did a bunch of things that like made him insanely uncomfortable <laughs> that he wouldn't do because he, he knew that he was resisting dealing with those emotions. Mm. And I think that I began to have a very similar experience as well when I went through my own personal divorce was like, uh, are you familiar with Michael Singer? Yeah. I actually just bought my father for his birthday 
the un, un, the untethered, un, untethered soul. soul. I have it ready. I do have it. Okay. So I plan on reading it. It's on my it's on my list. I'm currently reading his other book called The Surrender Experiment. But anyways, he's phenomenal. Oh, actually, actually, that book that you bought is like probably top three favorite books yeah. of all time. And oh, uh, wow. cool. But uh, he talks about basically this idea of those pains that we experience, like whether it was for him going to a yoga class or a lot of things for me personally that we had tied with my ex are like basically they're thorns on a rose petal. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you touch them, they fucking hurt. <laughs> but the point is, is like, we're not trying to get rid of the thorns. Yeah. Right. We're just trying to recognize that they're there and being okay with them. And so the more that we can lean into those things, I think there's this just degree of like surrendering mm. and letting go and being like, yeah, that's a thorn I have. And that's cool. Cause I went through this thing, but you don't need to just like keep poking it. Right. Yeah. Like you can just be like, yep, that's there. That's part of me now. And I, I can officially let that go. Mm. I had that happen as well. Actually, when my you brought up my motorcycle getting stolen, uh, I say that I'm not empathetic. That doesn't mean I don't have emotions. I do have emotions. I think that I just work through them quicker than most people. Okay. And so like when my motorcycle got stolen, I went through all of the grieving process of like pissed off Mm. and then confused and then denial and then sadness. And then it was like, okay, well, acceptance. Mm. There you go. The motorcycle has gone. Right. Like I had all the emotions but eventually when you get to acceptance you can eventually let go but i think i just have learned to work through those faster because i've had enough of those experiences in my life where yeah things happen and it sucks but i can work through the grieving process a lot faster and just let it go Mm. yeah i uh yeah thanks for sharing that um that's an interesting concept of just doing the most emotionally painful things as, as soon as they, yeah. I thought so too. I was like, dude, you're a savage. He's but. just like, let's plunge into it. Yeah, exactly. Let me just stare at a picture of her. Exactly, for, right? For 10 hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know if that's going to work properly, but maybe it does. Um, interesting. <laughs> Facing it head on. I he like did. It. Yeah, to the point where he actually got a tattoo of a, is it a buffalo? Isn't it the like, buffalo that like. A tattoo of her face. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I will always remember <laughs> that would be extreme. Uh, but I think it isn't, isn't it the Buffalo where I'm almost positive. They go heads, head first into the to storm. a storm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's fascinating too. Yeah. They, they, they choose to go head first into a blizzard because they instinctively know that it's the best way to, to get, get through it to get through it right. yeah versus the cows like they go the opposite direction which then prolongs it and makes yeah. it worse yeah um are there any other like ex- like certain ways that you face that that like difficult experience of your divorce like to to, to process it was one of the biggest most emotional real- like i tell people all the time i would swing through phases of laughing hysterically to crying hysterically mm. It was the least control as somebody who, again, I have emotions. I just, I'm very stoic, but it was the least control I've ever had over my emotions in my entire life. Mm. I didn't know how to process anything because I think that to the point about everyone, everyone goes through the grieving process with with a loss of anything in life. Even if it was like you're a kid and you had lost a toy, you go through a grieving process. Everybody Mm. does. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the longest, most spread out grieving process i've ever been through of like going through all those phases of like 
anger and confusion and sadness and all the things it just took a very very long time for me to eventually reach acceptance and it wasn't until then that i was finally able to let go of everything but yeah man it showed up in a lot of ways most notably honestly the one that sticks out the most was i was still working as an occupational therapist at the time and i was a shell of myself i like it was one of those things where i my physical body was in the clinic with patients, but I was not there mm. mentally, emotionally, mm. spiritually, whatever you want to call it. It was literally just doing what I needed to do to get through the day to continue to survive, essentially. Mm. That's the one that stands out the most. Mm. And honestly, that only happened because of the great advice I got from my father. When that when we officially were getting divorced, my, my father gave me the best piece of advice he could have ever possibly given me. me. But it was basically... Just make sure you keep your ducks in a row. And basically what he meant by that was like, don't quit your job. Don't stop hanging out with your friends. Don't mm -hmm. stop working out. Don't go fucking selling everything and traveling the world. Like basically just don't be a dumbass. Mm -hmm. And because he knew that I was so emotionally unstable that I needed time to be able to work through those emotions yeah. before I can make an intentional decision essentially, mm -hmm. as opposed to an emotional decision. I'm curious. You said you fought, you fought for that. Oh yeah. That relationship. And that's something that as a man, you know, you want to, you want to try to make things work. Right. And there could be circumstances or factors that are out of your control that cause a relationship to maybe tumble. Right. And maybe you, you truly believe that um, the connection's still there. There's just things in the way or obstacles that you need to go through. So I, I'm curious how that process went. Cause like for me, if I were to be in a seven year relationship and I truly love that person and certain things happened and yeah, that we're out of our control and you're like, well, let's, let's try to make this work. And like at, at what point do you, yeah, do you let go? You know, like how, how, did, how are you able to discern when it was like, yeah, this is okay. This is over. <clears throat> it's a beautiful question, man. Um, so the only, I shouldn't say the only, I'll say one of the biggest reasons that I did decide to fight for it was her father, uh, my father, ex-father-in-law is a mm. man that I still to this day love dearly mm. and was a great mentor in my life. And he, during that same time when we were first like, getting divorced quote unquote we uh he said we got breakfast and coffee and i was explaining everything that happened and he said whatever you do don't walk away with this with any regrets and i took that to heart and i was like okay and that's that's a big reason why i was like that's great advice like i'm gonna give this everything i had mm. and i did man like literally for about a year like i did everything like i read all the books and I seeked mentorship and coaching and we tried living together again. And we literally tried everything that I felt like I humanly possibly could mm. to make this work. And I put in about a year of like, just like dedicating whatever I could to even, it was painful, dude, super painful mm. to pour your heart into something and just not feeling like you're getting it in return. And I, there's no like finish line to that. I think it's just like, you just reach a breaking point where emotionally you're like, I gave it everything mm. I had. And then you just like throw in the towel and you're like, I can't do it anymore. Mm. Right. It's, it's like a workout. 
there's a point where it's like your body stops moving mm. like yeah <laughs> and i think i reached that point emotionally where i was like i literally can't anymore yeah so yeah there's a famous book um the body keeps the score oh yeah and there's like a maybe an intuitive knowing it's like okay i, I can't keep doing this so um thanks for sharing that um to stay in this list of the 2022 lessons learned um you know you're wearing your your grandfather's flannel beautiful flannel here and it seems to have a um a special symbolism mm -hmm. for you definitely um what was one of the biggest or a, just just a heartfelt piece of wisdom that you learned from your, your grandfather work hard but do with a smile <clears throat> that'd be one that stands up more than anything it's honestly a big reason why i even named my business after my grandpa my grandpa's name is andro and so mm. the business is called andro brands and that's a big emphasis behind it honestly is yeah work hard but do with a smile he's he lived till his 90s oh and uh he was always just a jolly guy. I don't know if it's because he drank coffee 24 <laughs> seven, like literally. Okay. Those videos we were talking about <laughs> coffee is good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. Honestly, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says about it. Not if you live till he's 90 and he was drinking it 24 seven. Well, the funny thing, I was actually just telling my girlfriend this the other day that people think uh, people drink a lot of coffee now, but actually when you dig into it, our grandparents generation actually drank way more coffee than we do now mm. because they in that generation you basically always had like a pot on for when guests or friends would come over mm -hmm. so they literally drank coffee from sun up to sundown however the difference is is that they drank coffee not like caramel latte <laughs> you know what i mean like sugar loaded yeah. uh, whatever it is Dunkin' donuts that has like a thousand grams of sugar exactly yeah so it's a very different kind of coffee yeah. right i'm not yeah. saying like the mixed coffees i'm saying they drink yeah. coffee just yeah. coffee yeah. all the time black coffee exactly so i think there's a lot to be said about that but yeah that's the biggest one that honestly stands out um and just i mean i gave a when he passed away this was was it last year um yeah, I gave a I gave a talk in front of everyone at the funeral, obviously, and just to, said some kind words about him. And it's funny too, because like the other thing that stands out, and maybe this has a lot to do with my wanting to live a life I don't need a vacation from. My grandpa retired when he was like, I don't even know that he was fifty. Mm. <clears throat> like he, <laughs> he was basically wow. he was basically retired his entire life because uh, at that generation, basically, he went to war. Uh, he was a medic in the war, came out of the war when he was like in his early twenties and then worked as a postman for, I think 20 years. Mm. So like by the time he was like mid forties, he had a pension and he retired and then he was still able to spend the majority of his life, not working, but still doing things in a productive manner mm -hmm. and just being super happy about life. Mm. And I think I just idolize that in a lot of ways mm. of like. Yeah, he totally lived a life he didn't need a vacation from. Mm. Like he just did what he did, wanted to do every day. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he was born probably in the 30s. I'm guessing if he was 90. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Nice, man. So, as you step into 2024, I'm sure I, maybe you'll make a post of this. Uh, some of the lessons you learned this year, I think you might've already, um, 
what are some of the biggest lessons you learned this year? Whole. Um, okay. This is probably awesome. I put this in probably top one or two. Uh, one plus one equals four. Hmm. So shout out to my buddy, Chris Bates. He's really the one that completely shifted my entire mindset around this idea completely. So after my divorce, uh, I not, not immediately, but for the most part, I didn't, I didn't really do anything like, I guess, relationship related again for years. Like there was a window of time for like three years where wasn't dating, no sex, no porn, no masturbation, like nothing. Mm -hmm. And part of that was rooted in me trying to figure out how to be happy by myself. Cause I've always sort of been like serially in relationships and dating. Mm. And I think the other part of that too, was that I was very jaded. I was very jaded with the idea of being in a relationship with somebody because I thought it would take away from what I wanted to do because that was the experience I've had with mm. all my other relationships was that I felt like I was always pouring and never getting any return. And so like, it felt like this, like, one minus one type situation, which ultimately equals zero. Mm. And it wasn't until again, my really good buddy, Chris Bates opened up to that idea of uh, one plus one equals four. And he says with the right partner, they actually expedite what you want to do as opposed to make it harder. Mm. And it wasn't until I met my current girlfriend now where that actually was a thing. I didn't, I honestly didn't believe it was a thing until I met her. And it was funny, even like on our very first date, we took a walk around Ladybird River and got some food at Ziki or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was like day one, it was like, here's my baggage, <laughs> like take it or leave it. First date? Yeah. Mm. And uh, we were both just like very, yep. This I is love that. Kind of where I'm at. I love that. And, and even to the, I mean, I don't think I actually shared her to her at that point though, that like I haven't like dated or had sex or done anything in mm. years. And I think that might've came a little bit later, but really what I'm getting at there though, is like, she was the first one where it was like, as we started spending more time together, it felt conducive and support. Like she's so supportive of my goals. Mm. It shocks me most days. <laughs> like somebody that actually facilitates the, the dreams and the passions and the direction that I'm going in my life. Like to have somebody in, like that in my life is like, I didn't even think that was a thing. Mm. Right. And so that from this year has been mind shattering. Um, and even also too, just knowing that like my junk still works cause it's been three years. Yeah. So that was kind of a cool moment as well. <laughs> Real quick. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, so, so I, I, I do, um, I'm 30. I do want a family. I want kids and there's two threads that I have. One, I think I may have a belief if I enter into a romantic relationship with someone, it could hinder what I'm trying to do here with the podcast or my routines, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, I know the feeling that's a belief that I'm creating. Like I can find someone that's very conducive and energizing for who you are. Um, so I, I do appreciate you saying that because I think I haven't checked into it too intimately, but I think that somewhat lingers within my belief system. So I think it does with a lot of people, man. You're free. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, maybe a few things that you don't, it, it could, it definitely changes your life. Um, mm. and in many ways, and you don't want your rhythm or to, you know, that to be 
thrust it into a different direction. But I think that's at the end of the day, having a life partner like that is, oh, dude, it's probably amazing. I'm sure. Um, and then the first date, just getting right into it. I love that. Uh, I actually, I don't really listen to PBD. Uh, P, I think it's like Pete, Peter, something David podcast. He's pretty well known. Um, and he told this story on the Chris Williamson podcast. He was like in his late twenties. He was like, all right, I, I, I want to get this done. He was like a man of like, you know, action and executing. And he met his now wife and they went on the first day and he just kind of got straight to the point. And I think he said, cause he was in his late twenties. Like, I just kind of want to, I want to get into this. I, I, I know what I want. I don't want to just dilly dally. And so they did the first date. They had a pretty intimate talk about that. And then he sat her at his house, bought this book called 101 questions. You should answer before you get engaged. And they went through all of them. Love it. Six hours. Damn. <laughs> and I was like, I think that's the way to do it. I really do. I think that that's kind of how I want to go about my future dating. Um, you know, just, just like that, that hemisphere of my life to just kind of get to the point of this is who I am. And obviously, even if you answer all those questions and you're like, Oh, this, this feels like it could work. And you still got to give it time, right? Things still unravel and you, you might, you know, it might not work out, but that is something that I think is powerful. I think a lot of people can, you know, that the rate of divorce in the United States over the course of the past couple of decades has, has risen to a great degree. I think like 60%. Mm -hmm. And I think people are afraid to talk about that baggage, that luggage that you have, that you, that you don't want to, um, express or reveal. And my friend Camille, she was on the podcast. She talked about a shame list, which is somewhat similar, but it's just like really getting to the point, uh, similar to what you did. And both people literally create a list of the things that they're most shameful of. Hmm. And they just go back and forth with it. And so obviously that's dense and heavy shit that you're going to go through. And if you, at the end of it, say, I still could see myself with you, that that's something that, um, you know, I think the people that get divorced and the divorce rate, this is me speculating. I, I, have not gotten married. Um, people maybe just don't get to those deep things within you and they get to the surface level and maybe they, they hover over things that seep out over the course of the relationship. And that's why they maybe get divorced. Um, but I think that's a power move, man. I think that's, that's the move. Um, and to a lot of people, I think that would be frightening, you know, just being like, all right, well, here's uh, my childhood trauma. Uh, nice to meet you. My middle name is this, but also, uh, <laughs> I was really abused and, uh, did a lot of drugs and, or whatever. Like, um, and then you also, let's say it doesn't work out. Let's say you do answer those 101 questions and then go through the shameless. You develop a sense of, I'm, I'm assuming like a sense of self-confidence. Like I was able to sit there be extremely emotionally vulnerable, pour my heart out 
and I'm here. I'm, I can, I'm still alive, you know? And so, yeah, it's not easy to do that. And, um, I, I do want to get it. Like, I do want to make that a practice as I begin to date. I've gone on a few, uh, group dating, well, not group dating. Um, it's speed dating. Um, this friend of mine, Jen, she's doing this, uh, group dating. Uh, it's the personality playbook. And you do like a personality test, like a Myers-Briggs personality test before you go to the dating events. And then they will assort the groups together. And I did like, you know, you, you have like 15 different sessions with 15 different women and they facilitate the questions or activities. And some of them are deep. Some of them are like questions that are uncomfortable. And I did that for, I did that once with that specific group. I also did some Tantra speed dating, um, at third eye lounge. And I, I connected with a few, uh, women knowing that I felt like a hell yes, but I walked away. I was like, damn, I feel good. You know, like I feel good. Like I feel confident about myself and going back to the shameless and the conversation that I had with Camille, she was like, if you don't bring light to those things that you're shameful of, they instill more power into that darkness, that fear. So an example, you got really embarrassed when you were a kid and that, you know, that embarrassment carried a lot of shame towards other habits that were instilled within you that did not serve you. Um, and you just don't tell anybody about it and you don't express that with your significant other. It's still building within you and like it's, it's got its grasp on you and yeah, that might be a scary understanding or realization, but it's like, just let it out. Just, you know, just be vulnerable, be transparent. So I commend you for <laughs> being able to be like, all right, here's my shit. And, uh, how's it smell? You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's important too, if you value your time on planet earth is that I think it's short tracks exactly what you're talking about where you end up in a relationship or a marriage that you probably shouldn't have been in because you waited so long mm -hmm. to talk about the things that were inevitably going to come up. Yeah. You're prolonging it. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, we don't have to get into this if you don't want to, but oh, like man. the other, the other profound life lesson for me was actually honesty, just like unabashedly honest. Mm -hmm. And I first stumbled upon that idea, honestly, from, uh, Sam Harris, Mm. He wrote a book lying. Yes. Have you read it? I haven't, but Jordan Pearson kind of gets into this too. Uh, it's the two of them do. Yeah. It's the most powerful thing in the world, man. It's, it's so it's actually, it's the most basic yet slash uncomfortable thing you could possibly do is to never lie. And I honestly fully believe there's actually never a situation where you should lie ever. Yeah. Even, even in the most like mundane situations where I think I used to do it more often than not was like the white lie type situation where somebody buys you a gift that maybe you don't like or whatever mm. the case might be is like, you would often be like, Oh, thank you. This is great. I love it. When in reality, you're actually just like prolonging the bigger issue. And it's, and it's always short-sighted mm. when you lie. It's always short-sighted. Yeah. You're making the situation comfortable and easy now which will more often than not lead to a further situation that's way worse. Mm -hmm. 
right? The gift is a perfect example because it's like, if you hated that gift and I'm not saying being mean, being honest and being mean are not the same thing. Yeah. You can be honest and still be kind, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to tell somebody forefront up, like Christmas is coming up, right? Like if you get a gift that you don't like, I think it's important that you share how you honestly feel about this so that later down, assuming you're going to have a relationship with this person, whether it's your friend or your family or whoever it is, yeah. they know not to get you that again. I'm just thinking of the, the trending video of the little toddler that's like oh an avocado oh. <laughs> thanks <laughs> it's just like she doesn't give a fucking shit what that exactly. she's like what are you gonna do with that exactly you know? exactly <laughs> but I, I yeah man i totally agree that kid's got to figure it out like <laughs> i don't know because she said thanks and yeah, then but she, did yeah. she honestly though? she's just like okay yeah. <laughs> fuck that you know? <laughs> but i mean yeah like, you, could, you could definitely just be like oh Thank you for the thoughtful gift. I might not ever use it. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> exactly. Or utilize it. Exactly. But um, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, that's the other one. It's just brutal honesty. Not brutal. It doesn't have to be brutal. Unabashedly. You could be exquisitely yeah. honest. You, um, can, you can be honest and kind. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Hmm. Yeah. So Naval Ravikant says that. He's, he, uh, he says, oh man, what was it? It, it did combine being truthful and kind at the same, like being loving. Oh man, I forgot what it was. It was like being loving is like being truthful and kind. I think I can't remember exactly what he said, but I mean, it's taking into consideration short-term versus long-term, right? Is being honest in the moment is actually kinder in the long run. Right. You assume that like saving someone's emotions right now, is the better act of generosity, mm -hmm. but it's short-term thinking. Yeah. If you play this out over assuming you want to be connected with somebody long-term, it is actually far wiser to be honest in the moment so that long-term mm. you can facilitate a better relationship. Mm. Yeah, dude, that was great. Great share. Thanks. Um, so we've got plenty of topics um, and... I liked how fear is a wonderful compass. Oh yeah. Your comfort zone is subjective. These are two different things, but I think they, <clears throat> they can tie together. Um, fear is a wonderful compass. How did you come to realize that? Tim Ferriss, honestly, I think he uh, talks about fear setting. If you're mm, familiar with this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really where that concept came from is like he, so Tim Ferriss takes the spin on of it essentially of whatever the thing is that you want to do, write out the worst case scenario and then realize like when you write it out, you're like, oh, it's actually not as bad as it could be. And here's all the things I could do to rem remedy the situation. Mm -hmm. I basically took it to another level of those things that you write out that you're afraid of are more often than not the things you should be doing. Mm. If something is terrifying to you, this means that it's also an opportunity to learn and grow. Mm. So whether it's like approaching the girl at the bar or it's like quitting your job or it's uh, some sort of like physical health, like maybe you've wanted to always run a marathon or an ultra or even if like you're just starting out, maybe you just whatever it is like mm -hmm. 5K, right? Is like those things that you're afraid of 
are great signs of the direction that you should actually be going. Because when you do that thing that you didn't want to do, you more often than not grow far bigger and better than you could otherwise. Like a perfect example of this was actually when I ran the BPN half marathon. Mm -hmm. Prior to me signing up for this race, I fucking hated running. I thought running was the dumbest shit on the planet. I didn't understand why anybody would do it. I'm just trying to get jacked and look good naked, which means that I'm going to go hit the weights and maybe do a hit workout because hits great for building muscle. Why would I run? Right. That's stupid. And then I did this BPN half marathon thing and it shattered all my beliefs behind it. Mm. I didn't want to do it. I was afraid of running. I didn't think I was going to be able to run the race. I thought I was going to have a knee injury and I did it. And now it's like a part of my life, mm. which is not something I ever expected to happen. What did you learn from running that it, like shattered, <clears throat> shattered you? That it's actually conducive to my goal. Okay. I thought it was going to be a hindrance. I thought that running was going to hold me back to building muscle and to recovering mm. it's actually done the opposite mm. which i did not expect to happen i'll be honest mm. especially from my i have a background and i used to do physique shows and bodybuilding and uh and so like i always thought cardio was the dumbest thing ever mm. and now i've actually realized it's actually helped me build more muscle and to recover faster which i was like oh, i didn't think that was possible wow. so. okay um and your comfort zone is subjective I think I've heard from yeah Joe Rogan like the most painful thing in your life is the most painful thing in your life and I think the example he portrayed was a kid could have a like a three or four year old could have a cone of ice cream and, <laughs> and the ice cream falls no <laughs> and then like Jocko Willink loses like loses his brothers that he's fighting in war with both could be <laughs> you know like could be felt just as painful in that moment you know so how did you how did you um find that to be true that that your comfort zone is subjective so this one's very relevant to i feel like the austin community <clears throat> so i stumbled upon this one when I recognized that all the guys, and I guess probably girls too, that were pushing this like cold plunge thing. So I grew up in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. That was a very normal part of our everyday life. Okay. Like putting a sun on the lake, cutting a hole in the lake, okay. jumping in the lake. Mm. We used to do what are called polar plunges. We'd raise money. It was a very normal thing. Mm. Like people did a lot of it, right? And I came here and and this isn't to talk shit about cold plunging for the mm -hmm, record, mm -hmm. but everyone's doing all these like cold plunges and it's like, you're hardcore and you can <laughs> jump in the ice. And what I began to realize is that all the same people that were hard and doing hard things and pushing their comfort zone by getting in the ice, were not actually challenging their true comfort zone. Mm. That had reached a point where that's actually easy for them, mm. but they love to push this message of like, look how hard I am. Look how this amazing thing that I'm doing that you can't do. When in reality, they've done it so many times that it's like, this actually isn't challenging for you. You know what's probably actually challenging for you is you should go get on a stage and try to do some stand-up comedy. Mm. <laughs> that's an actual comfort challenge for you, mm -hmm. not getting into another cold bath, mm. right? So yeah. like 
I think it's 100% relative to the person, right? And vice versa, Yeah. not to talk shit about people who do cold plunges because I love them and I do them all the time. But the stand-up comedian who's never done an ice bath mm. would for sure be a great comfort challenge, right? <laughs> so it's completely relative. And it's I think it's just the only reason I brought that up and was talking about it is I think it's very important that recognizing what your hard thing is, mm. right? What your comfort challenge is. For me, the running thing, that was it prior to now doing another race. That's not really my comfort challenge anymore. Mm. That's not my hard thing. It's just a part of who I am. Something unique would be something completely out of that realm. Maybe mm. it's like improv. I don't know, but I've never done improv. So that'd probably be it. Triggered. <laughs> Everybody's triggered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everybody should jump off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking do it. Yeah. Um, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. Cause I've done like hundreds of ice baths at this point. They're always tough, but and actually, initially, it was really hard. I I, uh, I was doing them. The first time I was immersing into a cold plunge was here at Squatch, late 2021. When I first started, it was cold here in Austin. It was actually pretty cold. It would be like 40 degrees. I'd get here at like 630 in the morning, do a workout with some friends, and then we'd jump in the cold plunge. And the first time I did it, the night before I woke up at 3 a.m., and I would look at the clock and I was like, oh gosh, I got to do, I'm going to be doing this. Like I was, yeah, that's how, that's how nervous I was. I was like, oh, I don't want to fucking do this. And so the first time I did it, I think I lasted like 30, 30 seconds. Cause it was just like, my hands started to get stiff. Mm-hmm. My hands got like so stiff. And actually there was one moment in my, or two, two or three moments in my life where I was drinking pretty heavily, not taking care of my body. Um, in multiple, just, just not taking care of myself in multiple regards. And I had a heavy night of drinking, woke up in the morning. I was by myself like in a comfortable place. And then I had like, my heart started like to race and my hands like, cl- like just like clenched up. What I realized was I was having a panic attack. Mm. And so when I got into the ice for the first time, those f- like familiar physical, uh, you know, sensations began to happen. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like, this is scary. And then I think the first couple of times I, I had never done a cold plunge. I, I ran around in the, in the snow. I mean, my buddies would like be in a hot tub and we'd run around the, in the snow and like do like roll down a hill and stuff and then jump back in the hot tub. But that was really the first time I ever did it. And it definitely challenged my like actual physical body. But like mentally, I was like, this is fucked, got out, but I kept doing it. And, um, but it brought back like, a that, that panic attack, um, like those sensations. And I realized it was like all in my head and granted, like I was dehydrated from drinking the night before and not well nourished and yeah, just like, you know, multiple different factors that I might not even like consciously realize, but that was a very interesting discovery and not everybody, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to go through. Like to think that you're about to go through another panic attack. It's like, oh, well, see you Tuesday morning, you know, Monday's down, Listen, Tuesday, Thursday, you know, like just do all these panic attack uh, procedures, you know, it's like, but eventually it got to a point where I was like, I could last longer. I would be in there for a minute and three minutes or whatever. And then you feel great afterwards, um, like physically. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's an interesting concept. Your comfort zone is subjective. I really like that. 
on that note real quick uh to the panic attack thing what's cool about this just as a side asterisk because i i think that's mm. important for people to know is that i had a similar-ish situation with meditation mm. where when i first started meditating i would get anxious and like short of breath where the part where like you're like <gasps> almost like gasping for yeah. air and it's funny because I had a very similar experience. I would do it now all the time. I don't have that issue anymore. But then I remember when I uh, went scuba diving with mm. Ross and the guys. And I remember getting down like 50 feet underwater, whatever the case it was. And I remember experiencing that same Ooh. like short of breath, like panicky type situation. Mm. But because I had prior experience with, with it and knowing the emotions and the feelings that come with it, mm -hmm. I was able to sit and work through it. And I honestly think about this all the time that if I hadn't done the work prior to that experience like i don't know what would have happened right you just swim to the top and that you, you're not supposed to do that like that's all, yeah yeah that's how you die yeah that's how you get the bends yeah so you, you can't just go up right. right so uh yeah so to your point about the panic attack thing that's why when you were talking about that i'm almost curious as if like have you had panic attacks since then no okay no i, I mean i've had i had probably multiple even more than I just said, like I had just like two, like two or three that were very particular and very obvious, but it got to a point where like parts of my body were tightening up, like really tightening up and clenching up like my hands and like my stomach. And it, it went away after I took like some deep breaths and got some fresh air. There's been other times where it's happened and I think it was like public speaking and I've done public speaking in a maybe, I mean, it's, it was in a professional format, but not as like formal. It was like, I was a restaurant manager and I would speak in front of like 30 to 40 people and other, other aspects of it. Um, and there were certain moments where I would be like super anxious and then eventually I would power through it, but, um, it hasn't happened since. Um, and I actually was talking to Matt about this. Like I haven't really done a lot of like major public speaking in a while. So that might be something I try to get into to try to test myself. Cause it's something that I'm still fearful of dude. Um, that the compass. Yeah. Is. Yeah. And like, I've gotten asked to do like work, like a workshop at like a men's retreat. And I was like, I don't know what I would talk about. But it's like, you, I talked to Matt yesterday on the podcast. He's like, dude, you're, you're, he, he called me a walking dictionary at one point <laughs> and I was like, so I'm ma I'm probably making excuses so I could probably, and, and I do feel called to do it. And I, since, since, uh, the, I mean, over the course of the past couple of years, I've like, I, um, I went to a, a, a men's park workout at Zilker park and there was probably like, there wasn't a big amount of, it wasn't a big group. It was like maybe 15 guys. And we all got in a circle after doing the workout and then we did shares. So like challenges that are vulnerable. And I was like fucking nervous, dude. Cause it was the first time I really did something like this. I went to therapy a couple of times, like to a professional therapist and stuff like that, but I never did anything like that, like the group workout. And I still did it. I still shared what was on my mind, but there was a lot of fear going through me. So what's coming out may, might not be as uh, clear, maybe not as much clarity. But, um, I've noticed I've been doing a bunch of those park workouts and sharing and sharing in front of people. And I just, now it's more natural and more coming from the heart. And it's just been a practice of, it's not all about you, you know, and, and just kind of like taking the major focus on, on you, you know, like it's, we're all connected in a way. And, and so it's a practice. So, um, yeah, it's something that I'm, I think is, is is in my path. Uh, we'll see. 
But um, to continue here, uh, I wanted to get into I wanted to get into content um, because I'm obviously I'm, I'm creating a lot of short form content for the podcast. I think it's pretty vital to the growth of, um, to, to the growth of what I'm doing here. Like the podcast is, it's one thing. Um, but I could evolve into, to various things. And I really liked one of your messages and I think it was a recent post and you said, I like my content, how I like my coffee raw and real. <laughs> and in a different, in a different clip, you talked about the word of the year in 2022 was gaslighting. And then 2023 was authenticity. And I, oh, dude, I fuck was like, yep, I agree with that. Um, and so the future of, of content, right. I, I've thought about it a few times. I was talking to Matt yesterday again uh, on the subject of like AI and um, and it, will it will it even matter? Um, because there's big podcasters or content creators out there that are like, you know, these random businesses are creating AI uh, pieces that is me marketing their product, and it was never that, that was not me. That was fake. And I'm, yeah, I, I liked the confidence that you displayed, like raw, organic, real content straight from the source is going to be really valuable. And I, I had doubts about this. I, I thought like, if there's just AI, I mean, Alex Hormozzi, you know, he, he's, he's utilizing uh, AI a lot and uh, he does it within his, um, <laughs> within his, uh, his like experience. So we got some visitors here. We got friends. We got some friends. They're going to realize that we're doing a podcast live right now. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I liked your perspective and I wanted to hear a little bit more about that because I wholeheartedly believe in it or want to believe in it, you know, like I, cause this is what I'm doing. I'm putting a lot of work into it. You are too. And so with the future of AI, deep fakes and, mm -hmm. and, um, just the, acceleration of, um, technology, uh, this perspective is reassuring, but I I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. So what, what caused you to make that piece of content and what, and, and that, uh, belief? Great question, man. It, it came from basically this idea that everyone's trying to be the niche or they want their niche or they're trying to discover what their niche is, right? Like that's such a buzzword. And for important reasons, I think that it is helpful to know what makes you unique and what's different. Uh, the other way that it was actually recently described to me was basically you want to be like, have you ever seen a polar bear before? In real life? Yeah. Maybe at a zoo. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen a polar bear on a unicycle? No. Exactly. So <laughs> the idea is, is that you just want to be so unique and different. Yeah. And so like, everyone's like, what's my niche? Is it, is it like, there's a ton of people who are in Austin that it's running or maybe it's you're into gardening or maybe it's into goats. I don't know, whatever, like everyone's trying to figure out their niche when in reality is like, we've almost reached this really weird tipping point where there's so many people putting content out there on every topic under the history of the sun. Mm. And then everyone's fighting for how do I be the best? Mm. 
on this topic? How do I be the best in bodybuilding? How do I be the best about goats? How do I be the best runner? Whatever the, whatever the topic is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this constant like pecking order of trying to be the best on something when a way easier game to play and a way more fun game to play, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is like you are your differentiator, mm. which is where the, the idea of like you have unique experiences and you grew up in a unique environment and you have a different point of view just by nature of being a human mm-hmm. makes you different. Mm-hmm. And that's your angle. And so instead of trying to be the best, name your fucking topic, it's way more fun and easy to be you in an honest and true and authentic way. And don't get me wrong, even that can be challenging Mm -hmm. because we have so many layers on top of us based on our parents and who we're around and what we've learned and the books we've read and et cetera. Those obviously all influence us on some factor, Mm -hmm. but it's those combinations of all those things together that makes you unique. And so the game becomes, instead of trying to be the best in the topic, the game becomes, how do I just speak my truths mm. based on what I know? And I've, that's why all my content comes from, this is my experience based on what I've experienced. If this is helpful for you, fucking awesome. If it's not, that's fine as well, mm-hmm. right? But I'm only gonna be speaking from my true authentic experiences in life. And like, that's where that idea comes from is like, you are your differentiator, mm. right? And you do that by speaking authentically. And if you want to get super practical about it, it takes a lot of work. I mean, you're at what, 40 some podcast mm-hmm. episodes. Yep. And I'm sure you probably still feel like you're finding your voice, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. You're still figuring out how to have an intelligent conversation and to formulate your ideas mm-hmm. and to do those in an effective manner. So it takes a lot of time. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's just like, yeah, be yourself. But I feel like that's a more fun game to play. Mm. Yeah. And the almanac of Naval Ravikant speaks to this too. Like you, there's no one like your unique makeup, like the experiences that you have, your genetic makeup and all that. And that's trickled out like that. Naval is the first time I've heard it, but also like, I think Alex Hormozzi has talked about it. And so I bought a, bought a course by Dan Coe. Oh yeah. He's a, he's a unique, um, individual. Yeah. He, I I really like his content. I kept reading all of his, uh, his blogs. And I was like, eventually I got to a point where I was like, this hits me pretty hard and he's clearly effective as well. Um, I had a friend that said like Danko's kind of meta because he's like a content creator that like being in his own niche, teaching you how to be your own niche in a way. I agree for that record, but yes. But like no one's really doing that. Like what he's offering is unique. And eventually there's more people that offer similar packages like he is. Um, But I bought his course, uh, Digital Economics. I'm like 25% in and even shows you the percentage of like how far you are. But it takes a long time because he tells you to actually execute on what he's teaching. So you have to like you know, use, I think it's Canva for the thumbnails that you want to use for your YouTube content and and your podcast art and the brand that you want to build and stuff like that. And I, I really love that message. And I, and Naval even says, you know, there's 7 billion people on this planet. I hope there's 7 billion businesses, Mm -hmm. which is cool. So yeah, you know, like some people might just say, AI is taking over the world. You know, uh, there's so many different fake, like deep fake videos that are generating content that isn't even the actual real human being. And how do you differentiate from that? Who knows? Maybe someone makes a technology that provides some indication that, okay, this, this is direct from the source, right? Eventually maybe in person, um, 
is going to be more valuable, right? But um, that was a perspective that I really enjoyed that you put out there. So even if that was true though, right? Like even if it was true that AI is going to create all the content, that's actually not even valuable information. That doesn't negate the fact that you shouldn't still do something. Right. Right. Like if you have that assumption, so what you just throw your hands in the air and you're fuck it, not going to like what? Like that doesn't even, it's not even useful information. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think the, the future, the pro- projection of, of, a lot of jobs being taken up is already happening and will continue to happen. And that creative pursuit is going to be almost a no brainer and almost maybe not even an option for, for human beings, you know, because more and more the robot, like robotic tasks that we don't want to carry out anymore are being, um, carried on by technology, right? Whether it's going to be, I mean, Elon Musk just, uh, put out a like robot, uh, on his X account that showed this robot that literally has like flexibility and can like balance well. And you plug like a language model in there and AI into that. And like that thing's eventually going to accelerate and evolve even more where it's just like super, like it could do Taekwondo with you or something like that. And so the, the possibility of jobs, even like blue collar jobs. Some people think, oh, well, construction, that's going to be around for a long time. I don't know. Like 3D printing, these robots, like who fucking knows? And um, so having the, the, the practical, uh, just the practice of being creative and expressing that online and creating your own business, I think is like, is a, is a, is something to look into and, and not shy away from it. And I did that. I mean, I, I, that, that thought has come up multiple times for me. So, um, that was an important clip to put out for a lot of people. Um, I really like that. Um, so more rapid fire. More rapid fire. How much time we got? We got a little bit of time. Um, let's see here. Hmm. Self-respect is not the same as self-confidence or self-esteem. Who? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Dropping knowledge bombs. Uh, this was a post from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. So I'm trying to remember where, do you remember what year that was? I'm trying to remember what was Could have been between like 2017, 2018, maybe even 2019. I think it was before 2020. Okay. I'm trying to remember what was going on during that time. That made me pull that idea. If I remember correctly, that comes from the aspect of, um, to tie to this is basically at the end of the day, all we have is what we think about ourselves when we're by ourselves. And so in order to build that self-love and that self-confidence or that self-appreciation, it mm-hmm. comes down to not so much what you do in public, but what you do by yourself. Mm. Right. So like great example, of this was actually literally today. I was actually, so I walked the dogs this morning, <clears throat> not my dogs, Melissa's dogs. Um, I'm watching them while she, while she's out of town. And uh, I was out of dog bags, out of poop bags. Mm-hmm. And the dogs took some shits. 
and it was like in some yards and it was like not that close to the house. And I was like, fuck. And I just kind of left it. And then I went back to the house and I literally grabbed bags and walked all the way over to where these dogs took some mm. shits and picked it up and brought it back and threw it in the trash. Mm. At the end of the day, would have anybody have given a fuck if I left those dog shits? Did anybody even know? Was anybody even around? No, 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 no. But realistically, I would have known. Mm. And that's way more important to me than what other people think of me. And so maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm insane. But more often than not, I have found that if I can get to the end of the day and to be able to lay my head down and go to sleep and go, I'm happy with who I was today. That is a thousand times more important to me than anything that's ever displayed into public of mm. like what I say or what I'm doing or posting content or talking about this cool task that I'm working on. Most of it's irrelevant to recognizing at the end of the day, all we ever have is what we think about ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Robert Kennedy Jr. I don't know if you know who that is. He's a current independent presidential candidate. He's the son of Bobby Kennedy and nephew of JFK. Um, he got asked a question about spirituality by Lex Friedman. Great response. One of the things that he said, um, even if it's not like an organized religion or one of the more common religions, whether it's Judaism, Christianity, having a belief in something higher has assisted him to be a better person and to most likely establish this sense of self-respect. And so he gave an example of like going to the grocery store and always bringing his car back to where you need to bring it back. And some people just like leave it wherever at the end of the day, and we were talking about the conscious mind and the subconscious mind and how we only get a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Right. Some statistic was like, yeah, the 1%, if there's like 10 million bits of information that you're receiving, your subconscious mind takes in like 99% of that. So like nine point, you know, nine, 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 nine. And that 1% is, is all you see. So you might think like, oh, because of my memory and what I'm receiving in this moment, it's like, eh, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you do kind of, you know, within yourself. Um, and so... Yeah, that's, I think, a belief that everybody should adhere to, even if you don't believe in any higher power, just the, just the being or acting as a human being that is, as is respectful, if, even, even if no one sees what's happening. And I like shared a piece of content that was like, be prepared to work with no applause hmm. a good majority of the time, you know? So that was a hard hitting post that I really enjoyed. And, um, there's another one too. You were in a coffee shop. You took your, uh, picture of yourself, um, working in a coffee shop and you were looking around at the baristas and you said, there's, there's people who do the job and people who do the work. Yep. So I have to shout out Seth Godin again to that one. <clears throat> and cause he, he's the one where I really learned that concept of it. I think if I remember correctly, it comes from his book, Lynchpin. Have you read this book? So basically the idea behind that and where that came from was that we've all experienced this, mm -hmm. especially in a coffee shop, mm -hmm. really anywhere you go for that matter is that there's a difference between the person behind the counter that says, Hey, what do you want? they make your coffee and they hand it to you and you go on with your merry day versus somebody that actually takes pride in how they spend their time and what they're doing mm. 
and they don't just take your coffee. They really want to know how can I make this the best experience possible? And how can I make this, as Seth Godin would say, remarkable? Mm. In other words, ma worth making a remark about, right? And those are two completely different people in the exact same situation. And every single one of us are put into opportunities to be able to be that person. It's most notably being, it's most notably seeable in the work setting when you go somewhere and you're like, man, like that waiter or that barista or that auto salesman, whatever it was, where you really felt like they actually were there and wanted mm. to be there with you and have a genuine experience with you and support you in a human way. Cause that's what we are versus someone that's doing a job for a paycheck. Dude, I literally, I don't mean to, sh I don't mean to call anybody out, but I've, I've had enough conversations with other people that have had this exact same experience that I, I feel like I have to is, uh, people who work at cell phone companies. Have you ever gone into like an actual cell phone store? Yep. I have never met people that give less, less fucks than people that work in cell phone stores to the point where it, it almost angers me that they care so little about you even being in that store that it's like, what are you doing with your life that you like, if you hate it this much, why are you here? Mm -hmm. Right? Like there's a billion other things, other places you could be and things you could be doing that. And that's where that comes from is this idea of like, a linchpin, if anybody's wondering where that idea comes from, essentially it's like the most important piece. Like I think it comes from a, a, is it a tire? Some sort of widget, some sort of widget where basically it's like the essential piece in the widget that if this thing falls out of this wheel, we'll say for the sake of example, that the whole thing falls apart. Mm. That's what that book's about is like, how can you position yourself as like the linchpin in your business or at your coffee shop or at your auto salesman situation mm. of like being the person or the, the, the glue that holds everything together, that you're so vital to this company and this organization or your business or your community or your friend group, whatever it is that people would like fall apart if you weren't there. That's what we're striving for. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, most people in job situations, more often than not, they're just there for the paycheck. And if they left, nobody would even notice. Like, is that really a good way to spend your time? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. And it could even be the incentives behind the job that they're working at. It's like, no matter what you're getting paid the same. So that, that might instill them to just not put in the extra oomph or the emphasis or the But if they feel that way, passion. then why wouldn't they leave? I don't know. Maybe they just, they have limited beliefs of themselves. That's probably true. And they don't know what else they would do. And so maybe at these phone companies, it's like, everybody's going to need a phone. Everybody uses a phone. <laughs> it sells itself. Yeah. Uh, so there, maybe if they were, you know, like I actually went to Apple and I got a new laptop, exchanged my old one and their service was decent. They were like decent people, but I have been to a Verizon store. Thank you. And they were fucking terrible. Yes. You know, so at, at Apple, I wonder if the, my presumption speculating here, but maybe they get like more Apple stock or more money or commission or whatever. But even if they don't, it's like do something that you love, mm. you know? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that was interesting. Um, one of my favorite quotes is the world makes room for passionate people. And I say that that doesn't necessarily mean like you have to be in love with like being a sales guy or whatever it is at a Verizon store. Like you can be a passionate person about life. Mm -hmm. And I think that the world always makes space for people like that. Yeah. And to, to stay on the topic of passion, you had another quote, it's called, or it was, uh, stated 
passion comes as a result of mastery, not before. Facts. <sighs> okay. Could you extrapolate a little bit on that? I think there's, I say this with exceptions. I think there's are exceptions in this world where people were lucky enough to have stumbled upon something that they really fell in love with and it happened to turn into something that they can continue to do for, we'll say the majority of their life. There's always exceptions for those things. I think the people that fall into that camp are often like athletes that actually make it to the professional level. Mm -hmm. But for most people, 99.9% .9 of people who love a certain sport, don't make it to the professional setting, which in turn means they have to do something else with the, the with their life, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a realist by heart. And I think to take a realist perspective on people finding their passion is that we like the things we're good at, which means that until you get good at it, you're probably not going to be all that passionate about it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you don't have certain inclinations and certain things that you're excited about and certain things that you're better at versus you're not better at. Like I'm not a six, six dude, so I'm not going to be very good at basketball. That's just the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have certain inclinations to be good at things, which those are the things that you should lean into. But this game of finding your passion to me is silly because I am now, I would say relatively passionate about running. I really enjoy it. Mm. You would have asked me that six months ago. I would have told you I fucking hated it and I would never be passionate about this mm. thing. But that didn't happen until I got relatively good at it. Not that I'm like an amazing runner. I'm not trying to say that, but I think that there's this degree of that we assume that somehow we're just going to like stumble upon this thing that we're super excited and passionate and want to spend our entire life doing. When in reality, when you look at the 99.9% .9 of people, they didn't really like the thing that they were doing until they got good at it. Mm -hmm. That's why more often than not, you see people that love their work had been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm. It's because they're so good at it that it's a part of their identity and they began to fell in love with it. Not the other way around. Mm. Well said. To conclude... 2024 we've talked about a lot here we've talked about intentions that's just one what are your intentions i'm not sure if i already really asked i know i kind of asked about some lessons that you learned in 2023 and also what you've displayed in 2022 what are some of the biggest intentions and goals that you have for yourself in 2024 so they fall into three camps <clears throat> and i've only recently probably discovered this within the past couple of years is that there's really three things that I really, really enjoy slash kind of need slash want in my life. Um, one of them is just good health. So coming into this next year, I have some health goals that some of them are related to half marathons and ultras and doing certain races and high rocks. So a lot of them are relative to that because I enjoy spending the majority of my days doing some form of exercise. Mm -hmm. That's one. The second one would be around relationships. Uh, right now it's spending just a lot of time with some trips planned up with my girlfriend and then also a really close friend group that I have that we run retreats. Um, we'll probably be doing some hiking out in California this coming year. That the white rabbit retreat. Yeah, man, you do your research. <laughs> uh, and so that's the second one. So first one's health, second one's related to the relationships in my life. And then the third one is doing meaningful work. And right now for that means for me right now, personally is doing the podcast show, um, doing the marketing agency and then also building community here in Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like everything's built around those three things. Uh, that's always 
without question, it's it ebbs and flows as to what those things look like. But the three pillars for me have always been like, if I can spend the majority of my days, like going back to that perfect day exercise of like, how do you want to spend an average perfect day? For me, it's always related to like some form of physical activity, spending time with people that I love and care about and doing some form of meaningful work. Mm. As long as I have those three things in my life, I'm super fucking happy. What those things look like, they're always changing and evolving, obviously, as we grow as humans, but it's always those three things. Mm. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you for your your knowledge, your wisdom, and for taking the time to come on my podcast. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Um, I look forward to seeing your growth, your path. I'm sure I'll run into you more doing those spectacularly uh, postured deadlifts, and uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe it won't be the last time. You come on, I, I do enjoy. There's a lot of perspectives perspectives within your content that differ from the trend of guests that I've had on. So appreciate you, man. Yeah. And as a final hurrah, I want to say too, like I have been watching your podcast journey mm. and from episode one to 40 something now here, you've come a long ways. Thanks man. Yeah, man. You're appreciate great. It. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Peace. Deuce.